Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego Kyle on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, I discuss sustainable impact investing, how to create portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, environmental sustainability, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as I explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Welcome, I'm Kimberly Griego-Kyle, your host of Deep Impact Investing. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode today. My goal is to always educate you, motivate you, and provide solutions that you need to build a more sustainable life and a more sustainable investment portfolio. So today, I thought we would talk about the secret sauce of shareholder engagement. And I have um, with me a guest, Jonas Krohn, who is the Chief Advocacy Officer at Trillium Asset Management. He also has a law degree in environmental law, which I find super interesting, And a little tidbit about Jonas that I didn't know, he made the list of Fast Company's 2022 Most Creative People in Business. Thanks for joining me, Jonas. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Tell me just really quickly, what is this Most Creative People in Business about? (laughs) So uh, as far as I understand, Fast Company does this on an annual basis and they identify uh, a lot of different folks across the business spectrum on different and new ways of doing work. So last year, I think there was some antitrust regulators that had made it work organizing and and Trillium and, and myself who were recognized for our work on worker rights. Excellent. So it's really about the radicals in the business area, <laughs> making change happen. That's great. Tell us and the, tell me and the listeners, what does a chief advocacy officer do? So I guess I have the privilege of running a team of uh, six of us in all that day in, day out, we are focused on engaging the companies that are in Trillium's portfolios. Um, and we are active investors, so we are not invested in all companies. We are going to be choosing companies based on environmental, social governance, and financial factors. Many of those companies, while uh, they may be better performers, um, in some cases very good performers, uh, there are often opportunities for them to do better, um, places where perhaps um, they need a little extra bolstering to keep doing uh, the right thing. And myself and my team, uh, we focus on engaging those companies on a regular basis. Topics like climate change or diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, toxic chemicals and products, worker rights, all those all those different things. One of the things that makes Trillium special is that for a firm our size, and we are a little over $6 billion under advisement, um, wow. we have, I think, significant resources dedicated to uh, shareholder advocacy. Um, and whether That's- you call it stewardship or, or engagement. Right. Shareholder advocacy is one of my favorite topics, and I I do talk about it frequently on different podcasts. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Tell me what part of your job satisfies you the most? What's what's the best part and the worst part? (laughs) Just briefly. Um, Sure. No, I think the best part is, you know, really having the opportunity to make an impact and to make a difference. Uh, Companies 
have such a big role to play in our lives in so many different ways, whether it's us as consumers, as citizens, as employees, and uh, shareholder advocacy is a very uh, effective and powerful tool to to make a difference there. I agree with you 100%, a thousand percent, maybe even. So before we talk about some of the little juicy nuggets that you have um, from the most recent proxy season, talk to me about Trillium's approach to shareholder engagement. I know you have a multi-pronged approach, so just give us an overview. We really try to use as many of the tools as possible that we have in the in the toolbox of shareholder advocacy. And and for us, you know, the really the question in many respects that comes it comes down to is um, how do you prioritize? There are so many different issues and so many different companies Absolutely. to work on that the question is often, well, how do you decide which company? How do you decide which issue and what approach are you going to use? And so for us, we go through uh, an annual prioritization process every summer um, because shareholder advocacy often follows uh, the sort of an academic year almost schedule. We will wear a couple different lenses in going through that prioritization process. And we'll briefly, we'll look to see which companies we hold. Uh, We will look uh, because we don't hold all companies, as I mentioned, um, we look to see what the bigger environmental, social, and governance impacts that those companies have, as well as looking at what are the material ESG issues, so which are the ones with a financial implication. And we're also going to be comparing that against Trillium's particular set of values and skill sets, um, which right. uh, I just want to talk about. Pop in yeah. there. So with Trillium, you have specific areas that you focus on just like most uh, big firms, and because you can't do everything, right. right? Yeah, so you're focusing on specific areas, which I think is important. Okay, go on. Yeah, no, no. So we, <laughs> we have to, and absolutely, you know, I think there's certain table stakes issues that you really need to be working on, no matter what, you know. And I think those like climate change. <laughs> And equity, right. you know, uh, I think are two two big ones that that you really need to to have uh, some sort of programmatic areas. And the, the only other things I was just going to add is looking for pathways forward and how clear is the pathway forward on a particular issue area. And actually, I think it's probably worth just pausing there to get it a you know maybe a little bit deeper of your question, which yeah. is that. Sometimes there's engagements that the pathway forward is quite clear and you can see how a change can occur within a a period of time. But sometimes there are issues that really, it's going to take a long time to move forward on the issue. And what we're doing is we are beginning that process of fostering a longer term change. And, you know, one example of that is that Trillium was really one of the very first firms to do work on LGBTQ non-discrimination. And so we were going to companies back in the early and mid-90s, um, asking them to promise not to fire people for who they love or who they are. And at the time, there was not much of a pathway forward on that. that was, no, not back in the mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very difficult road to hoe. But over time, it got easier and easier. And eventually, you know, like, Originally, we would go to the companies and they would look at us with blank stares and, and what do you mean? We we're talking about, like, <laughs> yeah, we don't have any gay employees. And of course, that was ridiculous. Right. They're always there somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but over time, that changed, but over time meant 10, 15, 20 years. And so, you know, I think that's one of, again, the things that make Trillium special is that we're in it for the long haul. 
and we're ready to put in the time and effort when the issue is really important. Thank you for that work. I appreciate it personally, and I'm sure a lot of folks do. And so what you're really talking about is here's some urgent things and here's some things that we have to take a longer view and process to. Yes, absolutely. I was uh, reading your approach uh, document and um, I was struck by the phrase, a shareholder resolution is a suggestion. So tell us what that means. <laughs> well, so there's sort of the lay version of that and, and then the more technical legal. Oh, version. let's do the lay version because. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, well, it's, it's not actually that technical in yeah. sort of a, a way that can't be understood. But Basically, under the SEC rules, the uh, rules of the Securities and Exchange Commission that govern shareholder proposals, in order to file a shareholder proposal that requires a company to make a change um, is actually quite difficult and pretty unusual. The common course is to make a suggestion. They're called precatory proposals. And so it's a, it's a recommendation for a particular course of action. And a lot of times it's not even a recommendation for a specific course of action, but it's asking for a report or a study on a specific course of action. And so, you know, sometimes shareholder proposals are quite pointed. For example, we have periodically filed shareholder proposals that have said, have asked the company, suggested to the company that they stop doing political spending, period. Then there's other times when it's like, well, how about providing better disclosure about your political spending? And right. those would sort of be two different ways of doing it. So those might be ramping up again as we go into 2024. Who knows? <laughs> Well, it, yeah, actually, it's sort of interesting, you know, like, we've had a long period of time where companies have slowly and steadily started disclosing more about their political contributions uh, and lobbying, too. And and I think enormous of credit goes to the folks over at the Center for Political Accountability for being very disciplined about driving that increased transparency. But now that we have a lot of transparency, we can actually start seeing where a lot of those dollars flow. And that is revealing the contradictions that so many companies are perpetuating, where they will talk about the importance of um, of LGBTQ rights and sponsor you know, pride events and and then at the same time, they will contribute hundreds of thousands of dollars to state legislators that are moving pieces of legislation to prohibit uh, transgender care in their states. And, oh, you know, the companies are on both sides of, of these issues. And so the question is, are they even any good at this political spending, given that they seem to be contradicting themselves so blatantly? Oh, my gosh. I see another podcast on that particular topic because it's so hot right now and, uh, you know, personal to me. But let's talk about some of the other little nuggets that you have that we we sort of talked about. But I want to mention a couple things first that we're not going to go into because I was really struck by these, the resolutions at Costco to ask about their um, reducing their uh, toxic chemicals in products and in in use there and and tracking what they're doing. And that was very interesting to me because we think of a Costco as a pretty good company, right? And and there's some labor rights issues that that were shared with me around the Union Pacific Corporation and paid sick leave. So both of those really, really um, stuck in my mind. But you are going to share with us a little bit about the work at Bank of America. 
And I just want to stop and and pause for listeners that any company that I mention in this podcast is not a recommendation for investment. Please talk to your financial advisor about that before you jump into those waters. Bank of America. Bank of America is a company actually we've engaged for a number of years on, on climate change. And for the last couple of years, we've done something a little bit different with our shareholder proposal and our engagement there. And and I think this is something that might start becoming more common, but I think is is a really interesting way for shareholders to, to make a difference in maybe ways that they hadn't thought of before. So when you file a shareholder proposal, it gives you the right to present the proposal at the company's annual meeting. And that means usually you have about three minutes to explain what the shareholder proposal is, formally move it, and uh, Ooh, tell people why. You've got to be very concise on that. Exactly. Three minutes isn't very long time. <laughs> but it's a really unique opportunity where you've got the undivided attention, hopefully the undivided attention of the executives and the board and, and many shareholders. And so one of the things that we did at Bank of America is that we took the opportunity to bring in an activist who is working with uh, with communities in Louisiana's Cancer Alley um, to oppose pa- uh, a new plastic petrochemical plant that would affect their community. And so the organization is called Rise St. James. And uh, one of their uh, leaders is uh, a woman by the name of Sharon Levine. And Sharon was interested in speaking to Bank of America because Bank of America is a likely funder uh, and source of, of loans for the project. And she is very interested in uh, stopping this from happening and for, and for getting her questions in front of uh, Bank of America, which is not necessarily the easiest thing for, for her to do because we've seen and we know so many of these uh, of these communities have been marginalized for so long and their voices really haven't been heard or given a platform. And so what we've really tried to do in this example is to pass the mic um, to Sharon and to give her an opportunity to have the undivided attention of the board members and the executives at the annual meeting. And we actually did something similar at another financial services company, uh, Travelers. So at Travelers, uh, we've been filing a shareholder proposal for a couple of years now, asking the company to do a racial justice audit. And for those that aren't familiar, a racial justice audit is basically saying, asking the company to do a 360 degree review of the impacts that uh, the company can have when it comes to, uh, to racial justice. And the idea here is that they don't simply look internally at their you know, their hiring practices and and uh, how inclusive of a workplace they have, but also the ways in which their products and their services and their supply chains and all the ways in which they touch communities around them, what sort of impact they can have there as well. And that shareholder proposal actually did quite well in its first year. It got a, a vote in the 40th percentile, which is very high for these kind of things. Yeah. Due to the anti-ESG backlash, and we can certainly talk about that, the, that vote went down slightly. But what we did was um, one of the issues of concern, one of the racial justice issues of concern for travelers is whether they will be providing insurance to um, companies that are seeking to do oil and gas drilling in the Arctic. And oh, so fascinating. Yeah. So the Gwich'in, uh, the Gwich'in people who are the folks that have lived in this region for uh, time immemorial have been opposing the development of fossil fuel activities in the Arctic Refuge uh, because it's a sacred place for them. 
And uh, what we did was, again, took the opportunity to pass the mic. And so what we did was we invited the leadership of what's called the Butchins Steering Committee uh, to come to Connecticut uh, to the annual meeting and to take our three minutes and to speak directly to the executives and the board of directors about their concerns. So that has again, to be, in, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but that has no. to be incredibly powerful that it's not just the same old, same old, you know, presenting the proposal, but to really have someone say, this affects me. And here's how that's great. Right. Yeah. That this affects me and that you, the people who are listening to me right now, you know, can make a difference on this. And so, so this is something that we, we did a few times this past year. And actually we've done it a number of different times sort of going back, you know, over the years. And, and it's always, I think, a very effective and powerful tool and can be an important stepping stone in making uh, some important changes. It gives me goosebumps to think about that. I may have to tag along sometime just to to see that <laughs> in, <laughs> in happening and in, in the moment. I'm going to pause right here for a minute and let you know, listeners, that uh, you can also create a portfolio of investments that builds on your ideas of sustainability and uh, equity and diversity, climate change, all of those issues. There's probably a hundred we could mention, but we want to make sure that you can match your values with your investments. So at Horizons, Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, we're here to help you. With more than two decades of experience, our top staffer and owner, Johan Klassen, he is there to help you and answer your questions. So you can reach him at 505-982-9661 or send an email to info at horizonssfs.com. Don't be shy. Send an email, give a call. We're all happy to help you. Now, let's go back to Jonas and talk about a very wide-ranging topic on labor rights. So that you probably have a lot to share in that area. Yeah, and and in some ways, actually, it, it really does connect back to the topic we were covering before in terms of, you know, passing the mic and, you know, helping these, you know, folks who have not had a voice to have more of a voice. Um, Because in some ways, that's, I think, really what the discussion around worker rights is right now is absolutely it is about pay or scheduling or benefits um, or workplace safety and health. But in many respects, it's about workers finding their voice and wanting to say, this is what is important to me. Because actually, you know, also picking up on the the question of paid sick leave, like, I think it's great for investors and Trillium is amongst them to advocate for particular benefit policies or pay. Um, I think that's important. But really, what's most effective is for the workers to advocate for what they want. And to have mm-hmm. the ability to speak for, you know, like some workers may want better benefits. Some workers may want better pay. They may want both of those things. Or what are they going to be the trade-offs that need to be made? They really, you know, should be the ones that are making those decisions. And, you know, over the last few years, we've really seen, you know, and I think we're just seeing every day another group of workers going out on strike and a lot of work, you know, unionized workers, whether it is, you know, the screenwriters, the actors, or the auto workers, or healthcare workers, uh, or teachers, they're already unionized. And in some ways, 
worker rights in this country are not particularly great, but unionized workers are at a relative pinnacle of power and they are exercising that power these days. But workers that haven't yet organized are really in a very different position. You know, they don't have the structure in place. They don't have the recognition. They don't have the structures for reaching uh, collective bargaining. So when workers are trying to organize for the first time and to, to have a union, um, it's a particularly precarious spot for them. So I think that is why the workers at Starbucks and their efforts has been particularly noteworthy because not only is that a challenging situation for them to be in to organize in the first place, but they are in an industry that has historically been very difficult, you know, to have workers organize. Retail, yeah. right? Uh, that's exactly. very difficult. Yeah. So in uh so two actually over two years ago, um, you know, we started seeing the developments pretty clearly. You know, we saw workers organizing more and more. We saw some initial strikes that probably folks don't really remember, but John Deere was really getting close to a strike at the time, and we were seeing that, you know, bubbling up. The New York Times workers were trying to organize as well. And then, you know, we had the first three stores for Starbucks stores in Buffalo, New York, getting ready to vote in December of 2021. Uh, I'm sorry, 2020. And so we came together with a few other investors to write a letter to the company, uh, basically saying that if these first three stores vote to organize, that we would really encourage them to come to a first contract as quickly as possible. And we were quite pleased to see over a trillion dollars in assets join us in that letter. So it was about wow. $1.2 trillion in assets joined that letter. And we delivered the letter a few days after those first three stores organized. And it did lead to some reaction from the company um, and some meetings. But those meetings really were not as meaningful or substantive as we were hoping for. And then Charles, uh, Charles uh, Howard <laughs> Schultz came back uh, into the CEO position. And because of uh, the increasing number of workers who were trying to organize, the growing number of unfair labor practice charges, and the seeming resistance of the company to address the issue, we, as a group of investors, uh, wrote another letter to the company, this time that was uh, joined by three and a half trillion dollars in assets assets under management. Wow. Yeah. So it tripled within just a few months. Um, so we were really seeing an enormous amount of, of interest from, from investors. That's a lot more powerful to a corporation than you have significant assets at Trillium, but when you get all of these others joining you, it's, it's pretty powerful position. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's, you know, Trillium is, you know, a little over $6 billion in assets under advisement, which obviously $6 billion is a lot of money, but relatively speaking, you know, it's, it's relatively small, you know, Starbucks right. is, has a market cap of, you know, over a hundred billion dollars. We provided that second letter to the company and tried very hard to be having a dialogue with the company over the course of the summer. And, and that's often the course of these engagements. You know, there's uh, letters, there's meetings, there's efforts at uh, having a dialogue with the company in the hopes that, you know, we could reach a, a, a positive conclusion. And that, you know, and, and I should say that we've 
held uh, Starbucks for about 20 years in terms of, you know, our mm. investment in the company and have worked quite successfully with the company on issues like plastic waste and food waste and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and going back even farther around uh, bovine growth hormone and just even sustainability reporting. So, you know, we were optimistic that we would be able to replicate those positive engagements again, but this issue seemed different. Um, and we really weren't able to get uh, a level of engagement with, from the company that we were hoping for. So what is often the next step is to file a shareholder proposal, which we did uh, alongside uh, a few other investors, including the New York City uh, Comptroller, uh, who's effectively the, the treasurer of the city of New York and uh, uh, one of the fiduciaries for the public pension funds for firefighters and police and teachers and so on. But those are um, pretty big groups to be joining in as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, the the uh, the New York City pension systems are well over two hundred, if not three hundred billion dollars in assets, and and then also a, a Canadian organization called Share, uh, which is a shareholder advocacy group, and a UK based organization called Perk uh, PIRC. And so the four of us uh, came together and filed this shareholder proposal that made this, it was a very sort of simple, straightforward ask. It said that Starbucks happily had made commitments to respect international labor norms under the International Labor Organization core labor standards. And those are standards that recognize and protect worker rights to organize and freedom of association at a higher level than U.S. law. So they had said many years ago that we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard when it comes to worker rights. And so our question was not, are you meeting U.S. law, but are you meeting your commitments to meeting a higher standard? And we think you should bring in a third party assessor to look at that question and provide you with the report and to investors as well, talking about the ways in which Maybe you are meeting those standards and maybe ways in which you're not meeting those standards. I'm and- on pins and needles just waiting for you to tell <laughs> you what happened with this. <laughs> so we filed the shareholder proposal in September, uh, September 2022. The company really didn't say a whole lot until just before the annual meeting in March of 2023, when they started making some vague assurances that, well, actually, we're going to do a human rights impact assessment and we will include it in that assessment, but they didn't really put a timeline on it. They didn't say who was going to be doing it. Uh, they didn't really you know, talk any, provide any details uh, regarding it or whether the board was going to be taking responsibility for it or now, not. Do, let me interrupt you. Uh, do corporations yeah. do that as a stalling tactic sometimes? Well, I think that was very much what they were hoping to do, that they were saying, okay, we get the sense that the investors are onto an idea that has some broad-based appeal. And maybe this is a way to cause investors to give them an off-ramp to basically say, okay, the company seems to be getting it and they're going to do something. So we won't vote for the proposal. And that's not uncommon. And actually, if you look back at the votes in 20. 23 more generally, you see a lot of pretty large, big institutional investors taking that off ramp on all sorts of issues, um, really giving the companies the benefit of the doubt. And that's what they were saying. They were basically saying, trust us, we've got this, we understand. So we went to a vote in March of 2023, just uh, you know, earlier this year in the spring, and the shareholder proposal got a 52% vote. I got a majority vote. That's great. 
Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the very few majority votes this year. Uh, most shareholder proposals took a haircut of about 10% um, in face of the anti-ESG efforts. And it's also important to remember that uh, Howard Schultz actually owns 2% of Starbucks shares. So, you know, we can sort of factor that in as well. So, you know, even though the company, I think, tried quite hard to persuade investors not to vote for the proposal, well over a majority concluded that, no, this assessment would be a good idea. So at this stage, the company has indicated that they will be doing uh, an assessment. Great. They have said very, very little publicly, and we'll have to see what they do. You know, if I want to be optimistic, uh, if folks remember back 20, I believe it was in 2019, that Starbucks got caught up in one of the sort of earlier uh, racial justice controversies when two Black men were arrested simply for being Black in one of their stores in Philadelphia. And the results of that was that Starbucks actually did one of the first racial justice audits. Uh, They brought in uh, a law firm to do a complete review of how the company addresses racial justice and published, I think, what was considered at the time to be a a pretty good report that did not pull punches, that said, okay, these are the things that you're doing well, and these are the things that you should be doing better. And it's if I'm being optimistic and hopeful, it will be that they will do the same thing, that they will Good. treat this with the same um, seriousness uh, and and commitment to you know meaningful outcomes as they mm-hmm. did with that racial justice audit proposal. But we're going to have to see. You know, the, yeah. the proof will be in the pudding. So what you're really saying is a lot of these are not they're not just one off. It's it's a, a continual process that you're always going after. So yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. that's great. I really appreciate it and. It, you know, we're we're winding down here on this episode of Deep Impact Investing. So I really want to thank you, Jonas, for joining me here on this podcast today. And do you want to say anything, last words, uh, talk about Trillium? I, I will say, and, and full disclosure, that Horizons uses Trillium in many of their portfolios, and they're quite popular with our clients. <laughs> <laughs> last words? So, well, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast and your uh, wonderful questions. Uh, thank you very much for, for for inviting me on. And I guess I would just, you know, maybe end by saying that Trillium has been around for over 40 years at this point. You know, we have a, a deep commitment to sustainability and investing for a better world. Um, and that's both through our investment process as well as through our shareholder advocacy. And um, we are always happy to talk about it and really appreciate the opportunity that you uh, gave us today, Kim. Thanks. Good. Because uh, I'm thinking uh, maybe July, I want to get you on and talk about what's hot that you're, you're following at the moment. So we'll that would see. be great. <laughs> yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Deep Impact Investing with myself, Kimberly Griego Kyle, with Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Please join me for my next episode, where I think my favorite guy in the world will join us again, Johan Klassen, with some stimulating topic on behavioral finance. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kimberly Griego Kyle, reminding you to live your best day every day. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast, reminding you that it's time to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, please email me at kim at 
griego-kyle.com. That's G-R-I-E-G-O hyphen K-I-E-L dot com. Or give Horizons a call at 505-982-9661 and be sure to ask for Johan Klassen. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available and to share this podcast with colleagues, friends, and family. The companies I may speak about during the podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Kimberly Griego Kyle produces this podcast on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.